I really wish I could be one of those girls that loves doing cardio. That's like every morning I need to get up and I need to run 10 miles. But I genuinely prefer rotting in bed. Listening to audiobooks probably is the only way that I get any steps in. A story that just makes any type of repetitive activity better is my favorite kind of story. And my absolute favorite go-to platform to use is Audible. I love Audible because of their unparalleled selection. They've got thousands of titles to choose from. They have audiobooks across every genre from thrillers to romance novels to self-help books but they also have podcasts guided wellness programs theatrical performances comedy originals i'm a thriller girly so i'm currently listening to a flicker in the dark by stacy willingham and the story follows a psychologist named chloe she moved to baton rouge to get away from the family's dark history chloe's dad is in prison for the kidnapping and murder of six young girls who went missing when chloe was a kid so there's a lot to unpack already chloe is the reason her dad got arrested she found this charm belonging to one of the victims in her dad's closet. But there are some things that just don't add up about the investigation. And just when Chloe feels like she's finally moving on from the past, a series of copycat murders start happening in Baton Rouge, forcing Chloe to dig up the past. The story is so fast-paced. I love it. And there are so many red herrings. Anyone can be a suspect, including Chloe's own husband, her brother. I've been listening to portions of this audiobook for about 30 minutes every single morning while I go out for a little light, I want to say jog, but right now it's more of a walk. And listening to audiobooks always sets me up to be more productive and creative throughout the day. So if you're looking for a way to spice up your cardio sessions or just be more inspired, sometimes I just play it and I rot in bed anyway. I just lay there and I listen to it and it's so good. I highly recommend using Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible now for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash baking or text baking to 500-500. That's audible.com slash baking or text baking to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. A bada bing bada bam. She's a back. Okay, welcome to this week's episode of Bacon a Mystery, Baking a Murder. And I feel like, I feel like for a moment there, I was in my fantasy, Faye Daddy era. I was in my K-drama era. And we're back. We're back to my original obsession, thrillers. Today we are talking about a book called Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Was I sent these as promotions? Was I sent these as PR by a publishing house? Absolutely not. I spent my money on these books because I love having books that I can people come over and they're like Oh my god, you have a bookcase upstairs. I'm like here take a souvenir go read it That's the only way people read is if you give them books listen Frida McFadden is the reigning queen of thrillers right now And this was my first book that I've fully finished from hers because I have a tendency to start 25 books at the same time and <laughs> <laughs> it's not that the books are bad, I just get really distracted. But I was sucked in so deep in this book. She's got me back. Frida McFadden is actually interesting. She's a practicing physician that specializes in brain injury. And she started writing books. She's got a hit duology called The Housemaid. Really, really good from what I hear, which I, I think I started the first one, but the second part was released this year. So I'm going to re-go through and revisit. The Inmate by her, I also hear is one of her best, best, best ones. So I'm going to link all of her stuff down below. Make sure to go read all of her books. So good because she's a writer that makes you want to read again. Like if you're in a reading slump, people were like, you got to read Frida. Frida is your girl and I love her. So with that being said, we're talking about a couple that gets snowed in on an open house in this random mansion in upstate New York. It's snow is pouring down. A newlywed couple went there to meet with their realtor. Their realtor doesn't end up showing up. 
and they end up being snowed in into this house and they start finding very disturbing things about the original homeowner. And they're unpacking all the homeowner secrets, but meanwhile, they both have secrets of their own, which is a very interesting way to introduce the couple. Trisha and Ethan, what a name combo. <laughs> Are they frenemies? Are they married? We don't know, okay? I'm just kidding. But Trisha and Ethan are newlyweds and they've been married for about six months now. So like, they're super newlyweds. They actually, a little bit of background information before we get into the little snow-covered house. They ran into each other at a coffee shop in the center of New York City. Both of them, they live in New York City. They're looking at houses in upstate New York. They wanna get away from that Manhattan lifestyle. So the way that they met, they ran into the, each other at a cafe. Trisha literally tripped, spilled her coffee all over this guy's table. And instead of being upset, instead of being disgruntled, he insisted on buying her a new cup of coffee. And they sat there on their coffee-drenched table, sitting there talking for hours, I think like six hours. The baristas were like, get the f out of here or buy another coffee. But um, yeah, Trisha fell in love with him. It was love at first. This is like a honey commercial. Okay, so we're making these little honey apple pies. I saw this recipe on TikTok. It looked so easy that even a fool like me could not f it up. But I don't know. Never underestimate me, is what <laughs> I like to say. You just gotta make these little rectangular honey squares and then place some apples on top and then do some more honey and then put a puff pastry. So anyway, they start dating. It was love at first sight since that original cafe meeting. Trisha's friends do not think so though. Ethan is not liked by Trisha's friends. I don't know what it is. They just freaking hate the guy, okay? The more everyone kept telling Trisha what a massive red flag this guy was, the more she loved him, you know? <sighs> there was just something about his sky blue eyes. She just couldn't say no. She just had to date the guy, you know? I mean, it was true love. He had this big, goofy little grin and he was painfully handsome. The only problem was Trisha had a boyfriend at the time that she was living with. So she immediately ran back to her little New York City apartment, broke up with him and straight up told him, I'm sorry, but I think I met the man that I'm gonna marry. Oh, damn. Breaks it up with him and starts dating Ethan. I mean, nine months later, they're married in a small ceremony and it's been six months of living together, learning more and more about each other. I mean, how long do you think it really takes to get to know someone, like really know someone? Trisha said that she knew that she loved Ethan, but she was kind of learning something new about him every single day. And she liked it, it was fun. Almost everything that she learned about him just made her fall more in love. She truly believed her girlfriends were just warning her that it was too soon too fast. Cause they were jealous, jealous little hoes, jealous little thoughts. That's what she's thinking, okay? Okay, now you're gonna place some apples directly onto the honey in like a small little layer. Oh, wrong side. Oh, <laughs> oh, Oh shit, that's huge! <laughs> How am I gonna put a puff pastry on these? I said no one can screw this up! Her friends are jealous, he's perfect, you get the whole spiel, you get the raging red flags, you see the foreshadowing, you know, and she thinks their lives are gonna be perfect. Except for the fact that Trisha is hiding a big fat secret from Ethan. And they're also stuck in a massive snowstorm in his car. This drive was a test on their newly built marriage. The snow is coming down heavy on the road. He's driving his little fancy BMW with beautifully leather seats. It is impossible to see anything in front of them. I mean, yes, the BMW is fancy. We get it, okay? It was mentioned multiple times. But now, 
Now they wish they were in a truck, cause it, every little turn felt like the BMW was gonna skid out of control. Honey, I think you missed the lane. I think you missed the turn to Cedar Lane. Trisha could see the vein on Ethan's forehead starting to bulge. She learned that recently. Ethan has a bulge on his forehead that only came out when he got mad. No, I didn't miss the turn. Okay, so the two of them are driving to upstate New York to meet with their realtor, Judy, and they had seen this massive house online that can only be described as like a Buckingham Palace situation. They're living in a shoebox in New York City. This is a mansion in the remote area of the state of New York. But now in this little isolated area, I don't know if you can even call it the suburbs, it's like really remote. They thought maybe the L train wasn't so bad. So Trisha's like, maybe we should just head back and come back another week. Trisha. She could see his knuckles go white and the forehead vein is bulging stronger. We've been on the road for the past two and a half hours and we're supposedly two minutes away from the house and you want to turn back right now? He's mad, huh? You want to go back home right now? Okay, jeez, fine. Trisha knew that when Ethan wanted to do something, he was gonna do it. She also learned that recently, okay? There was a lot that she's learning about this new husband of hers. Maybe her friends were right. Maybe she should have gotten to know the guy a little bit before getting into marriage. But as he turns, she looks at the road sign through the snow. Cedar Lane, what do you know? He didn't miss the turn. What do you know, okay? He didn't miss the turn. They turn and instantly they're even more shocked. The BMW is barely holding up on the main road. This house's driveway is like a mile long. It's a long stretch of land and it's not even as big as a regular lane on the road. It's barely a road. It's more like gravel. It's entirely secluded. Even the turn into the house, you would miss it if you didn't know you were looking for a house. It is that remote in the middle of the woods. But it's snowing, right? Yeah. Trisha didn't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but she pulls out her phone in an attempt to call the realtor Judy to let them know, hey, like we've arrived, are you guys here? What do you think is gonna happen? No signal, yes, of course. Exactly, her phone is out of signal. <laughs> Bro, that's like the biggest nightmare. Yeah. Nowadays, in this, this world, 21st century, if you're going to a location without cell service, my it's, god. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Would you Bro, even go? We should host a party. And turn off all the... Like, and buy a cell blocker. Ooh, <laughs> and then have the lights go out at night? Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god, literally. And Everyone then their pens. <laughs> and then what do we do? Who dies? Oh my god. Oh, nobody dies? It's like escape room. Oh, Wait that's a minute. so good. Oh, and then we should have a pre-recorded um, audio clip that plays on the speakerphones. You were in a chance to win $500. Listen, it doesn't sound like a lot, but this family will kill each other for $500, okay? <laughs> a $500 gift card <laughs> to Trader Joe's. Who killed Stephanie too? <laughs> oh! <gasps> and then you're just sitting in the dark room watching the cameras. cameras. <laughs> Wait, when should we do this? Please let us know in the comments if you guys want to see this vlog. Anyway, her phone is out of signal. She's about to complain, but she looks at Ethan whose jaw has hit the steering wheel basically. Just... He's gaping at the house in front of them that is emerging. Like they're driving closer and closer and now they can finally see the house. And it is unbelievable. It's beautiful. I mean, two stories in an attic. The ceilings on each floor must be at least 10 feet tall. There's arched windows. It looks rather like a cathedral or castle than a home. And there's no way anybody actually lives here. Like what kind of person lives in a place like this? It's a freaking palace. 
Ethan looks like he's seen the love of his life. You like it? I mean, what is there not to like? Look at this place. But something, something bothers Trisha. Okay, she wants to agree. She wants to be like, yeah, it's a beautiful house. But before even stepping inside, there's just this strange gut feeling that something very terrible has happened in this house. It's the strangest thing. Trisha isn't even particularly spiritual or even superstitious as a person, but they've toured home after home in remote areas in New York, but never, never has she had such a random, strong, visceral gut feeling before. And almost right on cue, the tires stop moving. They're like skidding, they're stuck. They're stuck, okay? The car cannot drive any closer to the house. They gotta walk. Is it far? Um, I would say like, in the snow, because you know it's very hard to walk in the snow, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. 10, 15 minutes. How do you feel about living in a remote house? I like it. I think you will literally die. Yeah. And by default, I'm gonna die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so Ethan suggests that they walk to the house, and it's not too far. And thankfully, they see a light on on the second floor. Like, one of the bedroom lights is on, but the whole first floor is pretty silent. It looks pretty dark. So they assume Judy must be here. Maybe Judy parked her car in the garage because it's freaking snowing. That makes sense. And Judy is consistently a punctual human being. This is their realtor. So all of this is adding up, it clears. They stop the car, turn off the engine, and start walking in the cr crunchy little snow. After about three steps in, Ethan notices Trisha is already shivering. Her shoes, she's wearing like Louboutin boots, designer cute little booties, and Ethan is wearing warm winter boots. It's the price she had to pay for beauty, right? For fashion. Probably looking back, not a great choice, not a great start. But Ethan notices it, and being the cute little husband that he is, he throws her on his back while she's giggling and runs to the porch. Like, forget the fight in the car. Trisha loves Ethan, and nothing can convince her otherwise. This is Mr. Perfect Prince Charming. They run all the way up to the front door where he gently places her down. And she's blushing, okay, very cute. And Ethan pulls off his little glove and starts ringing the doorbell. Ring, nobody. Ring, nobody. Trisha starts glancing around, trying to peer into the windows. I mean, yeah, the house is huge, but it's not the Pentagon. Like, whoever is in the house should have heard the doorbell now. Like, they should have made it all the way from upstairs to downstairs. It's been like a solid five minutes. It's just kind of strange. Trisha notices what made her feel off about this house. There was that one single light on upstairs, but no lights were on downstairs. If you go to any realtor house showing, you know they light the on fire as if they don't pay a single power bill in their whole life. Every single light known to mankind is on. Every single lamp, every single kitchen light, everything. Ethan tries to ring the doorbell again. It's not like either of them can call Judy. Both of their cell signals are gone. So they try to peer in through the little windows next to the front door, and it's established. If there was a single person on the first floor, they would have come. So maybe Judy wasn't there, and maybe the light was left on by her last showing on accident, right? Either way, it's cold, they're stranded, they need to find some shelter. Ethan reaches under the welcome mat. Damn it, no key. Yeah, because that's so obvious. Trisha starts looking around, where would I hide a key? She sees a potted little plant near the corner, reaches under, and there you have it. A silver glistening key, okay? You think we should go inside without Judy? You think it's okay? I mean, Trish, what other choice do we have? Who knows when she's gonna get here? Besides, I don't want you to get sick. You're wearing like next to nothing right now. I mean, I, I, I guess, right? 
Okay, Trisha seems like the type where she's not fond of breaking the rules, but he has a point. They don't have cell service. They have no idea when Judy's gonna get there. And she could have gotten stuck in the snow too, like Judy could have. So who knows? They pop the door open, step inside, flip on the light switch, and this house is absolutely stunning. Creepy. Stunning. The entire place has a thick layer of dust settled on everything. Every table, every chair. The whole place is furnished, but not in the way that you would imagine. Not in like the staging furnishings. Someone is living here, or someone was living here. It's not a staged home. But either way, high ceilings, ornate details. It's not a modern house, but it looks like a freaking goddamn museum. It's well appointed, it's sophisticated. There's mahogany, there's wood dripping everywhere. There's leather to complement the wood. It feels like one of those architectural digest homes where everyone's like, finally a celebrity that doesn't like white and beige. It's one of those homes. Ethan looks like he's ready. I'm ready to put in an offer right now. But Trisha's confused. Wait, don't you feel like the asking price is suspiciously low? I mean, compared to the other houses in the area that we've looked like, I feel like this house should be at least like four times what they're asking. Maybe the house has mold. We should definitely get it inspected before we buy it. There he goes again, acting like they're gonna buy this house. Trisha doesn't like it because yeah, the house is beautiful, but something is so creepy about it. The entire house looks lived in, but not really. Like, it just looks very unsettling. There's leather sofas and armchairs, and so many books. I mean, everywhere is overfilling with bookshelves and books tumbling out of them. But they walk in, and for the second time today, Ethan is jaw dropped on the floor and he's looking up. So Trisha looks at him, his little goofy face with his open mouth and looks up what, what he's staring at. Oh my lordy, on the top of the fireplace is the biggest portrait they have ever seen of a woman. Fire red hair, pin straight. She looks like mid thirties. Her skin is snow white, red hair, Green eyes, she looks intimidating. She looks terrifying, but in the most beautiful way. Like, you know when someone is so beautiful, but so intimidating looking, you, you don't even know how to make eye contact with them? Mm -hmm. Like how you can't look at me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, did she live here? Is she a model? What's going on? Ethan's like, what kind of narcissist puts up a giant painting of themselves over the fireplace? I don't know. Trisha walks over to the bookshelves to see if she can figure out any clues. The painting is a welcome distraction, but it's such a weird thing. It's, the house is weird. Another odd detail, all the books in the living room on the shelf, they are from the ex they're the exact same book. From the exact Shut same author. Shut the front door. So Just e one book? One book. Oh, it's like this. Never lie. Oh, yeah. So either the homeowner works in publishing or is a massive fan like I am, okay? Trisha pulls out one of the books and the cover is this giant knife with blood that's dripping out of it. The title is called The Anatomy of Fear and it's written by Dr. Adrian Hill. So a lot of times the books on the back or in the inside cover, they'll have a picture of the author and a little section that's like about the author, right? Trisha turns it around and there it is, Adrian Hill. Dr. Adrian Hill, the woman in the painting. Oh. Ethan, look at this. I think we're in this author's house. Do you remember seeing her on the news? Oh yeah. She's the psychiatrist that got murdered, right? Yikes. Right and wrong, okay? Three years ago, Dr. Adrienne Hale went missing. Her disappearance was one of the biggest cases in a long time, probably because right before she went missing, her book, The Anatomy of Fear, was published and it was read by practically everyone. It was a New York Times bestseller on the bestseller charts for weeks. But even more so once she vanished. You know, people have a more morbid curiosity to see if they can find some clues in her little book. So, yeah, it was a big deal. She didn't get murdered, Ethan. She vanished.
Did you read the book? I don't like that pop psychology crap. It's actually really good. She writes about her patients anonymously, of course, but it's cool how we can all learn something from them. I thought it was a really good book. It's not really my style, but her boyfriend killed her, right? I think I remember reading that somewhere. He was some sort of like tech dude, like some IT dude. Well, I don't know if he was ever arrested for it. I think the internet just kind of accused him of doing it. But let's be real, Trishy did it. Probably, I guess. The world is filled with crazy men. Which is why Ethan pulls her in for a hug and says, well, aren't you glad that I saved you from all of them? And they have a little cute, little smoocharoony, a little kissy kiss. And she can't help but feel a little bit unsettled. Like he's so cute and normally this would be the cutest moment ever, but she breaks free from the hug and says, hey, but if this is her house, don't you feel weird living here? Not really. Trisha, everybody dies eventually. Unless you buy a brand new house, I'm sure someone has died in there at some point. And even then, if it's a brand new house, the lot that it's on, someone probably died on there anyway. I guess you're right. She's rubbing her arms, it's freezing cold, and her stomach is growling. Ethan suggests that they check the kitchen for any food, and Trisha's thinking, what the hell is gonna be edible in that freaking kitchen, okay? There is a dust on everything. Everything is caked in dust. And when he walks off, she sees it. A footprint in the corner. She doesn't remember Ethan standing there. The footprint is too big to be hers. And I'm sure it could be explained. Maybe it was a different showing, maybe it was Judy, but it gives her an unsettling feeling. Surely there's an explanation, right? She puts the book back on the shelf where it originally was and she walks into the kitchen. She feels like Dr. Adrian Hale would not have liked her to mess up her books. She walks into the kitchen and the two start guessing what happened to Judy. Like Judy is not the type of realtors to stand them up, even in this weather, but maybe she tried to call and their phone signal wasn't letting it come through. What if she got into a bad accident? Strange. Either way, they look out in the kitchen window and notice the snow is coming down so hard they can't even see their car. The BMW is probably covered at this point. At this rate, they're snowed in in a missing psychiatrist creepy house. I mean, that happens once you get married. Are you ready, babe? Are you ready for this, okay? So they both start rummaging through the kitchen, which is, it's like 10 sizes of their kitchen in New York. But here's the odd thing. The fridge has food. The fridge has a loaf of bread and a bunch of cold cuts. Bologna, turkey, so strange. There's no way that that turkey is good. Like there's no way I'm freaking eating that bologna from three years ago. Trisha expires next week. Judy must have bought it when she came to do a showing. Our realtor Judy, who only wears six inch heels, I'm sorry, I can't imagine her eating a bologna sandwich while showing this type of house. She's more of like a smoked salmon type of girl, you know? Trisha crinkles her eyebrows while Ethan gets to work making cold bologna sandwiches because what choice do they have? And she can't help but feel bad, you know? He really is sweet. Hopefully he'll still love her when he finds out about. Anyway. Trisha tries to busy herself by grabbing waters for them, but when she walks past the sink, she stops dead in her tracks. In the sink is a half-filled water glass and the outside is dripping with condensation. As if someone had recently drank cold water out of it. Ethan? Yep. I think there's someone in this house. Ethan walks over and stares at the cup. Before you even try to say it's Judy, Ethan, there's no way. Judy is never seen without her heels or her red lipstick and there's no way that she drank this and didn't get lipstick on the cup. And again, have you ever seen her drink water at a showing? She would never leave a dirty cup in the sink. Yep, but if it's not Judy and someone else is in the house, don't you think that they would have stormed down here and kicked us out by now? Yep, yeah, but 
Unless they're not supposed to be here either. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but what do you suggest we do? I think we should go check the upstairs. Like, there's no way that I'm gonna feel good. This sounds like me. This sounds like us, com our conversation. I think anybody gotta yeah. check, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Let's just hang out and see who yeah. shows up. But this is our conversation in our house where we have cameras and sensors, yes. and I'm like, I just gotta check. I just gotta check the attic once in a while, you know what I mean? For good reason, okay? There's no way I feel comfortable staying here unless we've cleared the entire house. If we're gonna be stuck here all night long, which is what it looks like, we need to make sure that we're stuck alone. Ethan nods and walks over to the little knife block and pulls out the biggest butcher knife that he can find. Better prepared than not, right? The two walk up the creepy steps, the creaky steps, okay? And Trisha is holding onto Ethan's arm like she's a professional arm wrestler and her life depends on it. And the steps creak and once they get upstairs, they flip on the hallway light. Now, most of the bulbs have gone out, so it's incredibly dim. I think only one of them was working in the hallway. Trisha can't even believe Ethan would consider living in a house like this. What's his deal? Wait, when we walked in, we saw that there was a light on on the second floor, right? But right now it's completely dark. Who turned off the light? I don't know, maybe the light wasn't on. Maybe it was like the moonlight reflecting off the window. The moonlight reflecting off the window? Ethan, think. I don't know, Trish. Let's just clear the upstairs room and head back down, okay? They burst into each room and turn on the light and for good measure, they check the bathrooms and the closet as well. They went through five bedrooms till they were finally about to enter the last one the primary suite. They slowly open up the door. Ethan turns to Trisha. There's nobody here. Other than a giant dust-filled king-sized bed in the center of the room, the room looks orderly in place. It's clearly the biggest room in the house, Dr. Adrian's room, no doubt. But just to be safe, they clear the bathroom and this massive walk-in closet that is stuffed to the brim with cashmere. I mean, this woman doesn't even own a pair of jeans. Like, she is the epitome of Money talks, wealth whispers, that trope. She's like, uh, she's giving Laurel Piana. It doesn't seem like Adrian lived here with anyone else though. Trisha thought to herself, Dr. Adrian must be dead because no woman would leave behind all these gorgeous designer clothes and not take them with her. It just still doesn't make sense, Ethan. We just turned on all the overhead lights, meaning they all work, which meant that no bulb went out. So what was the light that we saw from the outside? There's no way it was the moonlight. Maybe it was a lamp that was on and the light went off. Okay, I don't know, Trish. I don't know what you want me to tell you, but we searched every room, every bathroom, every closet. Like, look, nobody's here. <sighs> Trisha sighed. Fine, let's go have dinner. When they get to the bottom of the stairs, Ethan beelines for the kitchen to finish making the worst sandwiches known to mankind, but Trisha's eye catches on a door at the bottom of the staircase. She creaks open the door and peeks inside, and it is a massive library office. The Walls are lined with books, like so many books, more books than a real library. But in the corner is this expensive mahogany desk with a leather chair behind it. And the center is this leather sofa pointed at the desk. Clearly this woman had a thing for leather furniture. Trisha walks over to the mahogany desk and this is probably where Dr. Adrian wrote her book. Maybe she was working here the very day that she disappeared. And in the corner, there's a dusty little tape recorder. She pops it open but the place where you put like a cassette is empty. Whatever it was in it, probably the police took it as evidence. That makes sense, right? Trisha hears Ethan calling her name to eat dinner, so she puts the tape recorder back and joins him. But now that you've kind of sort of met Dr. Adrian Hill, let's get a bit more insight, shall we? 
So side note, this book primarily focuses on Trisha and Ethan in the present tense, and we never get Ethan's POV, we just get Trisha's. But it will sprinkle in chapters of Dr. Adrian's life before she went missing. And you start getting clues that are needed for what Trisha is discovering in real time, and it's done really well. So typically with books that have two timelines that are intertwined, I don't know why, I typically favor one timeline over the other. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of like skim through the next because I'm like, I just want to get back to my favorite timeline, right? Yeah. But this one, I, I would say that both of them were very, very enjoyable. Like really? I didn't feel the need to like skip through either of them. I liked it. I'm Tank Sinatra. And I'm Investigator Slater. And together we co-host a podcast called Psychopedia, which is a true crime podcast infused with comedy, making it a crimedy. Each week, Investigator Slater brings us a wild and thoroughly researched true crime case. I'm here to digest it all and react just like you probably are right there on the other side of the microphone. Somehow, I've got to present each case with the detail and respect it deserves, while also cracking up at Tank's perfectly timed humor and thought-provoking questions. Listen to and follow Psychopedia on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So Dr. Adrienne Hale, she was one of the best in her field, top-notch as psychiatrists get. She was up there, which also means that she had the luxury of charging the price of a mortgage for just one session and not taking any insurance. Yeah, she also wasn't the type of psychiatrist that you were like, oh my god, I just feel like she gets me. Yeah, she's the type that I feel like will judge you. But in a good way. Like, she makes you want to do better. Dr. Adrian didn't make you feel stupid, but she never reassured you just to reassure you. She was a stoic person. Sometimes she would let the silence hang, making you feel very uncomfortable. She could also spot a liar from a mile away. She said everyone has a tell, you know? Everyone has a tell. Whether it's playing with your hair, tone of your voice changing, maybe the ends of your sentence keep going up instead. Maybe you're unable to make eye contact. Those are the typical ones, the easy ones, the ones that you can find on TikTok. But Adrienne was good at picking out every person's tell. She warned those close to her, never lie to me. And the first flashback that we get is right before Dr. Adrienne publishes her second book, The Anatomy of Fear. Okay, her publishing agent came to her secluded house to deliver the final copy. And her agent does these special deliveries now because Dr. Adrienne has already been a New York Times bestseller, so of course she treats her like a VVIP. And that still means something in the publishing world. Adrienne watches as her agent stumbles around out of her Audi, looking at her phone and wobbling on her heels in the stony walkway. She looks annoyed that she had to drive all the way to upstate New York. But of course, when Adrian opens the door, the unmistakable fake smile is there. Adrian, how are you? I hate those words. Nobody really cares, and nobody who answers is ever honest, so why bother? She invites Paige in and watches as her mouth falls open. Listen, everyone is always impressed with her house, but to her, it's just her house and her office. She meets with all of her patients in this office. My God, it's massive. Are you not scared to live here alone, Adrian? I mean, you're like in the middle of freaking nowhere. You have a security system, right? Yeah, they're called locks. They come with the doors. You're insane. You need like cameras. I, I could see if Alex knows anyone for you. I'm sure he has a ton of colleagues that would love to date you. Adrian desperately wants to roll her eyes. Her agent is suggesting that having a boyfriend would make her safer in a house with no security system, but statistically, having a boyfriend would increase her chances of being murdered because boyfriends love to murder their girlfriends. Oof. I'm perfectly okay. fine. Thank you, though. That's true, I guess. You practically invite the crazies right in the front door, right? 
<laughs> anyway, I better get going. I was gonna just drop off your proof copy. So this is like the copy that she gets in book form before it gets published. Adrian freezes though. Did her agent just call her patients crazies? Adrian escorts her out and takes one last look at her, and she wishes that she could see her face later when she fires her via email. Besides, Adrian knows how rare it is to actually be killed by a patient as a mental health worker. It probably happens once a year in this country, and most instances, the victims are young female caseworkers, and most often, the perpetrators are men with schizophrenia. But Adrian does take a lot of precautions. She never keeps anything sharp on her desk. No need to tempt fate. She records all her therapy sessions. She asks all the patients to consent, consent to all the audio recordings. But even if they don't, she still records it. It's not like she's releasing the tapes. It's for better accuracy of notes, you know? Notes can lie, but the audio will never lie. She makes sure to vet every single patient that comes in through the front door of her home. None of them seem alarming in any way. Well, except him. But soon enough, he'll no longer be her patient, so it's fine. Her most difficult patient started kind of like a charity case. No, literally. His mom, Susan, begged Adrian, please just take him as a patient, please. I'll pay all the bills. For two years, she paid all the bills until she stopped. He's two months overdue and it's finally time to cut him loose. She had been waiting for an excuse anyway because he's a raging narcissist. No matter how much she worked with him, there was no way he was gonna get any better. She knew this, no psychiatrist could help this man. <sighs> She scanned over the cassette tape on her desk, EJ number 136. That was her system. She always wrote down the patient's initials and the number of their session as well as the date behind it. EJ had been coming to her for years. Within one session, Adrian had diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder, including long-term pattern of exaggerated feelings of self-importance, cravings for admiration, and impaired empathy. The moment Adrian laid her eyes on him, she freaking hated him. Thankfully, she will no longer be seeing him. So that's the past. But after eating dinner, Trisha excuses herself to find the first floor bathroom. It's less creepy, but Trisha can't shake the feeling that she's been having all night. And I'm sure it doesn't help to be snowed in in a presumed dead woman's house, right? But still, the place is giving her the heebie-jeebies. As she walks out of the bathroom, she sees another little bookcase. This time it's under the stairs, like Harry Potter under the stairs. And these were guilty pleasure books. So all the other rooms, the office, the living room, they were filled with like psychology books, nonfiction books, textbooks. But this filled with Stephen King. I'm like, not even a Colleen Hoover book in sight, not even an Akatar. No, Stephen King, the classics, okay? <laughs> it, The Shining. Something to keep Trisha's mind off things. She reaches for The Shining, undoubtedly the most classic, right? But when she tries to take it off, it's like stuck. And she hears a loud click. And the bookshelf kind of falls open. Not oh, like all the way, but a little hinge. My God. Secret door? Secret door. Ah, oh, so good. And there's a small little hidden closet under the staircase. Trisha makes sure no one's looking, particularly Ethan. Why? Because, you know, he's the type that thinks that nosy isn't good. If she sees someone, you know, doing something weird, she's like, should I call the cops? He's the type to be like, mind your own business. Bro, you're trying to buy the house. Yeah. How do you not know yeah. what's going on? See, you think that my fiance is like that, right? He's like, mind your own business. But if I saw a secret room, oh, this guy would be, he'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah. He'd be pouncing over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, she swings it open. It's a tiny little closet and a small little string hanging from the ceiling. Clink. 
She pulls on it. A light bulb illuminates. The entire room is filled to the brim with tiny little shelves filled with cassette tapes, all of them perfectly aligned. There seems to be a method to this madness. Each patient is identified by their initials. The very first session is always in blue. And then the rest of their subsequent sessions are in black. And if they conclude their sessions, the last one will be in red. The only one that was an initialed was one with big capital letters, Luke. Luke was the boyfriend that was accused of murdering her. He was splashed all over social media, and before Trisha can get too invested, Ethan calls her name, and for some reason, she doesn't want him to know that she's snooping. So she closes the door and runs out to find him on the couch with a big bottle of wine and a smile on his face. He's always been a bit of a wine snob. Guess what I found? It's a cab from South Africa. It's not great wine, but it'll do. Ethan fills both of their glasses and clink. Trisha hesitates. She knows that now is the time, now is the best time to confess. But she just, she can't bring herself to do it. So she takes the tiniest little sip of wine, hoping that her baby won't taste it. Yeah, it's correct. Trisha's big secret is that she's mother freaking pregnant, literally mother freaking pregnant. And the biggest red flag of all, if I were her friend, I would tell you, I would tell her that's a big red flag, is she's terrified of Ethan's reaction. She thinks that he will be mad at her. Technically, they had it all planned out. They were gonna be married, be free for a couple of years, buy a house, settle down, travel, and then in a few years, they were gonna start their family. But no, she's pregnant. Why is she scared? I don't know. Apparently she took antibiotics that interfered with her birth control and now here we are. And she just remembers listening to this one phone call of his, okay? So Ethan runs a startup and he was talking to one of his employees and he was just screaming at him. That was the first time Trisha saw the bulging vein in his forehead. And she hoped that vein would never come out when he was talking to her. I mean, technically he had never yelled at her before, but still it was kind of alarming. They sit on the sofa and Ethan starts picturing their life in this very house. Patricia is like, I don't know what you're talking about. All I see are Dr. Adrian's green eyes piercing into my soul right now. So Ethan notices, jumps up, takes down the portrait. What are you doing, Ethan? You can't do that. I'll put it back before we leave. He places the giant portrait on the floor with the picture away, facing away from them, like towards the wall. He jumps back onto the couch and starts making his moves on Trisha. I don't understand how you can even get a bonbon in a situation like this. Like if you got a bonbon in a situation like this, I'd be like, you need to go see a doctor. But the doctor is gone. Oh, <laughs> they do it. Yeah, they do it. When they're done, Ethan's like, I'm gonna go take a shower. Wait, wait, are you sure? You don't think that's... Well, she's been missing for years. It's not like she used the bathroom yesterday. Trisha could not find one good reason why he shouldn't shower. So she watches him run up the stairs and remembered, you know, she had something to do. Before she went out of the secret room, she had stolen a single tape. She wanted to go listen to it in the office. She finally has some privacy while he showers and she runs into the office, puts it in. Session number two with PL, 25 year old female who suffers from PTSD after surviving an extremely traumatic incident. She is so curious, huh? Oh yeah, wouldn't you be? Not like that. I'm like, get out of here. You are these so, people. So I don't even know these people. Why would I care? Yeah, right? it's like, I don't know, especially there's so many. I'm like, okay, but she's missing. I don't think I would have cared as much if the psychiatrist wasn't missing. Okay. But I think I'd be like, so you're going to be detective. I think I 
Might have to be. <laughs> you know, I think I might have to. So PL was the main story of Dr. Adrian's newest book, Anatomy of Fear. Probably the biggest patient that Dr. Adrian had ever had. And um, Dr. Adrian starts the session. You mentioned nightmares? Yeah, it's like I'm reliving it. Like it's happening all over again. I know you had trouble talking about it in our last session, but hopefully you feel more comfortable with me this time. It helped for me to hear from you exactly what happened that night. It's not something I like to talk about. It's easier to talk about other things. Dr. Adrian keeps pushing her to talk about it and PL starts getting more and more emotional. You can hear that she's crying. It was the worst night of my life. I lost everything that night, everything. We rented a cabin for the weekend and we just wanted to get away from the city. Relax, have a good time. But the first sign we should have left was, it was raining all weekend. It was coming down on us and we still tried to make the best of it. We roasted marshmallows by the fire. Cody and I went to sleep. Alexis and Megan went to their room to sleep in the cabins and I was sound asleep when I jerked awake to screaming. Keep going. So even though patient PL was sobbing, Dr. Adrian kept urging her to continue. And she did in between sobs. It's okay to cry. This is a safe place. Cody was screaming and there was blood all over him. I saw above us was a man standing with a mask and holding a knife. I couldn't even make out his face, but I could remember there were wet hairs stuck to the sides of his face from the rain and the smell. Oh my God, the smell, he, I will never forget that smell, it was so bad. It was like a wet dog. And he took everything from me. Cody and I were supposed to get married in a week. We were gonna go to our honeymoon. I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with him and that monster. It's okay, it's gonna be okay. How is it gonna be okay, Dr. A? How is anything gonna be okay? The man I was gonna marry is dead. My two best friends are dead. I've got a scar on my stomach to remember that night forever. I should be dead too. That's what the doctor said. But you didn't, you survived. You're a survivor. You ran through the rain, the mud. You flagged down a car to help you even after being stabbed. That is why you're alive. You deserve to be alive. Yeah, well, what's the point? I can't sleep, work, or do anything anymore. I just can't stop thinking about what my life was supposed to be. And he's still on the loose. I'm constantly looking over my shoulder to see if someone is gonna find me. I imagine he's at my window watching me sleep. The key word is imagine. He's not really there. You don't have to be afraid. If he were gonna find you, he would have done it already. I'm losing my mind, okay? My, all I can think about, even in the car right over there, in my head I was positive that he was in the car behind me chasing me. Yes, but it's all in your head. You cannot let this psychopath control your life. You are here to get better, okay? The tape ends and Trisha realizes that she's been in the office for about 40 minutes and she's amazed. I mean, sure she read Dr. Adrian's book, but listening to her voice, it sounds like she's the voice of God. The way that she told her patient, it will get better, it didn't seem like filler words. The way that she said it was so much assurance, confidence, force, it's like someone told you the future and you couldn't even argue with it. It's just what was gonna happen. Trisha runs out to see Ethan freshly showered and in new clothes. Are you wearing, are you wearing the clothes that used to be her boyfriend's? The man that killed her? What choice do I have, right? You should change too. She's got tons of sleep clothes in her drawer. No thanks. I'd rather just sleep in my clothes. Oh my God. Sit yourself. You ready to come up to sleep? You wanna sleep on her bed? 
I mean, the other rooms don't have blankets laid out unless you want to go rummaging through the linen closet for blankets, and it's the easiest option we have right now. <laughs> Fine, but we have to lock the door. Unfortunately for her, none of the doors had locks, which seems dangerous for a woman who lives alone in the middle of nowhere. Like, you mean, you mean bedroom locks? Bedroom mm -hmm. door? How are we gonna get out of here tomorrow? Trisha is on edge, but Ethan seems not that worried. I mean, you would think that this guy is on vacation at a bed and breakfast that he personally booked. I'm hoping the storm passes and we get reception back. Judy knows we're here, so hopefully she'll try to contact us, and if she can't get in contact, I'm sure she'll send someone, right? <sighs> Trisha gets into bed and lets Ethan cuddle her, and normally she feels safe in his arms, but not today. Not today. And being pregnant, she keeps waking up every hour to use the restroom. She thought that this was reserved for later on in the pregnancy, but I guess her bladder was already being squished. That and the house was just so creepy she couldn't even fall asleep. Trisha grabs the red robe, cause she's exhausted, that's hanging on the door of the closet. Dr. Adrian's red robe. At this point, she's too tired, okay? To be fair, it's so soft, buttery soft and warm. Trisha wonders why she waited this long to wear her clothes. And surely, in the morning, she's gonna hate herself for this, but at 3 a.m., it's fine. She sneaks downstairs in her red robe, beelines for the secret room of cassettes. She's hooked, you know? Wouldn't you be? It's fascinating. And given the fact that the room is so organized, she can imagine the police never found it, which means everything in there is like evidence. Maybe she could solve what happened to Adrian and turn it over to the cops. She notices. Remember how the last session was color-coded in red on the cassettes? Either every patient had a red color code or they didn't, which means that she was still seeing them actively when she vanished. But one patient stood out to her. They had a red cassette, but then immediately after, black cassettes. Why would they end their session only to start right back up again? She pulls the red tape titled EJ-137, pops it in. Transcript 137 with EJ, a 29-year-old suffering from narcissistic personality disorder. He walks in. I got you something, Doc. Bottle of cab from South Africa. Thank you. I don't know how much you know about wine pairing, but this would go great with some sort of cream sauce. I appreciate the tip. You didn't have to. Please have a seat. EJ sits down and Dr. Adrian informs him that his mother had stopped paying for his sessions. Do you remember this guy? Yes. Meaning she can't see him anymore and he feels very upset. He accuses her of just being money hungry, doing it for the money. And when that doesn't work, he tries to guilt trip her by saying that he was making such good progress and it was all going to go to shit because of her. He even begs her to open a tab for him. He can pay her eventually. His parents are technically filthy rich and they're just being assholes right now. It's not like you need the money, Adrian. You just had a best-selling book. I bet you made a fortune. You should pay me to hear my life stories. Oh, that is irrelevant. You could write a whole book about my life and make what? A million bucks off of it? It doesn't work that way. So what? You're just gonna cut me off because I can't afford your sessions anymore? Goodbye, good luck. I have a colleague of mine that does take insurance that would be more than happy to take you in. I'll go to the papers. Big, fancy, Harvard-educated psychiatrist turns down patient because he's not loaded and can't pay for her new Chanel bag. So you never actually cared about me, huh? As I said, I'm sorry. Sorry? Well, you don't know what sorry is. You're gonna be real sorry later. I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. I'll be back, and when I am, You'll be begging me to sit on that leather chair. Begging me. 
Trisha ends the tape and wants to gag. The man on the tape was threatening Dr. Adrian. He sounds toxic, violent, scary, threatening. I mean, just listening to his voice sent shivers down her spine. And the worst part is, the voice sounded so creepy, but also like kind of familiar. She could not put her finger on it. Strange. It's not what you think. Said so the bottle of wine they probably drank. The one from South Africa was probably given to her by this patient. She felt disgusted for even taking a sip of his disgusting wine. But if this was supposed to be his last session and it ended so badly, why would she take him back? While she's deep in thought, she hears a bang, like a crashing noise. She can logically try and convince herself that it's Ethan getting some water, but she knows that's not true. She grabs a pair of scissors from inside the desk drawer and runs out. She scans the kitchen, the living room, nothing, no one. And then she sees it. The portrait of Adrian Hale, the one that they placed on the ground facing the wall, it was back up hanging. Yikes. And her green eyes were staring into Trisha's soul. She books it up the stairs, runs to the master bedroom, slams the door shut, starts trying to move the dresser to block the door. Ethan wakes up confused. What are you doing, Trisha? I heard a noise. There's an intruder in the house. Maybe it's a squatter. I don't know, but someone in this house, okay? There is someone in this house. What are you talking about, Trisha? The painting was moved. Moved. Why would a squatter do that? I moved the painting. What? what? It never occurred to Trisha that Ethan would put it back after taking it down. But it kind of made sense. Trisha, you're freaking me out. Are you all right? Listen, if you woke up in the middle of the night, yeah. freaking shoveling, blocking the door and say there's an intruder yeah. or squatter, yeah. my reaction is not, what are you talking about? Yeah, your reaction is... Yeah, I'm like freaking grabbing the gun, like blocking it, high dodge, call 911, like do everything. Yeah. But he's like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Is that the reaction? What's your deal? Yeah, it's like, what? What's going on? Come on, get it together, chop chop, we're under attack. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, you need to work on your survival instincts. You got the survival instincts of a f***ing grapefruit. But maybe it was the pregnancy hormones making her paranoid. Look, Trish, we cleared every single room in this house. There's nobody else here. It's just you and me, okay? Ethan convinces her to get back in bed, and this time he gives her a back rub, and slowly she drifts off into a slumber. Now, Adrian was not all about the money, like EJ accused her of being. For example, in her free time, she liked to volunteer at a clinic for low-income folks in the Bronx. She loved it. She knew that they actually needed her help. Her regular patients, no offense, with the exception of PL and others who have experienced major traumatic events, majority of her clientele were bored rich housewives that were unfulfilled by their hedge fund manager husbands who pay little to no attention to them, and it was boring, okay? The, those sessions pay the bills. This clinic, the volunteer work, is the reason she got into psychiatry. Anyway, one day she's running late, which is her absolute pet peeve, and she's speeding to the clinic because when she volunteers at the clinic, they load her up so tight on schedule, she doesn't even have a lunch break. Everyone's back to back. So if she's late, it pushes into the next one and the next one, and she's only there once a week. These people desperately need her help. When she gets to the parking lot, a red Jetta turns into the parking spot that she had been signaling for, so her blinker had been on. They knew what they were doing. They knew that she had been waiting for that, that parking spot. So she did something she doesn't normally do. She honked her horn and didn't let go, he's like, "Pee!" The driver of the car, a young kid, gets out and has the audacity to stare at her, as if to say, so what? I took your spot. She wanted to run him over, but of course, she couldn't. 
was immature, you know? Instead, she found a new parking spot, ran into the clinic, and it's actually at this clinic she runs into Luke Strauss. He did not work at the clinic, but he was hired by a third party to turn all the clinic's paper files into a digital file. He worked for her boyfriend. Oh. Well, soon to be. He worked for a tech company, and it was very obvious that Luke had a crush on Dr. Adrian. Very obvious. And when he found out through nosy receptionists that Dr. Adrian lived down in the middle of nowhere, he offered to install a security system for her. He said that he just installed one for his mom, and she feels so much better now. Now, back in present time. The next morning, Trisha wakes up to a note on her pillow. Ethan telling her he's working on breakfast downstairs, and he didn't want to wake her. So she brushes her teeth with her finger, and Ethan is downstairs pan-frying eggs. Why the hell were there eggs in the fridge, huh? Not that the answer matters right now, because whether pregnancy or why the fuck were there eggs, Trisha runs to the sink and just lets it rip. She's gagging, she's throwing up for like five minutes straight. Ethan seems super concerned, and there's just no more hiding it. I'm pregnant. She half expected him to fly into a rage because, you know, but instead, he's really happy. I thought you wanted to wait a few years, at least. I thought you wanted to wait, Trish. I only said that because it didn't feel right to put pressure on you for such a big thing. But I really want to have a baby with you. Huh. You're not just look saying that. that to make me feel better. Of course not. Why do you think I want to look for houses so soon? So we can fill it with all our little kids. Oh, thank God. I was terrified to tell you. I thought you were going to get so angry when I told you. What? When am I ever angry with you? He does have a point. When is he ever angry with her? Annoyed? Sure. Angry with others? Sure. But with her? Never. It kind of makes sense now, though. What do you mean? All the paranoia? The rummaging around at 3 a.m.? The whole painting thing? Pregnancy hormones, right? <laughs> yeah. I guess. Speaking of painting, Trisha's eyes go back to the fireplace and the painting is back down. What? Thanks for putting it back down again, though. It was creeping me out. What do you mean again? <laughs> he needs to stop playing this. <laughs> Leave it alone. You put it back up last night before we went to bed. That's what you... S no, I didn't. I said I moved it. I moved it off the fireplace. Remember? I, th I thought you saw me. We're drinking wine? Trisha starts panicking to the point where there are sweat beads forming on her forehead. Ethan's trying to reassure her that she's overthinking and she didn't actually see it. It was late, she was exhausted, she's pregnant, emotionally stressed. There's no way the painting was back up that night. Maybe it's like a nightmare. And for a second there, she kind of believes him, but she knows damn well something strange is going on in this house. So after breakfast, Ethan makes the 15 minute journey out to the car to get his work laptop from the trunk. He's not gonna have internet, but at least he can get some work done. This is like 15 minutes to the car and back. It's gonna be 30 minutes at least. Trisha runs to the office. She's trying to listen to the damn tapes. She sneaks into the secret room, grabs the Luke tape along with a couple others, shoves them in her coat pocket, rushes into the office, sticks one in, play. Session 89 with GW, a 68-year-old widow who suffers from paranoid delusions. Are you okay? You seem a bit anxious today. Your hands are shaking. Did you take the meds I prescribed? About that, doctor. I didn't take them. My pharmacist is trying to kill me. Excuse me? When I went to go pick up my meds, I had every intention of taking them, okay? But right when I was about to walk away, the pharmacist winked at me. I'm not sure I follow. He definitely swapped out my meds for something else. If I take the pills, I will die. Do you remember when you thought the mailman was trying to kill you? Well, he was. He was constantly outside my house peeking in. He was delivering your mail, Gail. 
okay? The mailman wasn't trying to kill you. Your pharmacist isn't trying to kill you. You need to take your meds. That's what my son says too. There you go, you should listen to your son. But think about it. He has every reason to want me dead too. I die, he gets a life insurance payoff. The son? Yes. I knew it. Gail, you have to. And near the end of the transcript, you hear Dr. Adrian's voice fade, and it sounds like her phone is getting buzzed. She got a text, and the entire energy shifts. Dr. Adrian is heard in the rest of the transcript very unprofessionally canceling on Gail, like canceling the rest of the session. So let's bring it back to the past. Adrian knows that's very unprofessional, but she just got a text message from EJ. This is after their very last session. Mm. A text, he texted her a video with accompanying text that read, I took a video of you in the parking lot in the Bronx. Thought you might enjoy it. She didn't even have to play it to know what was in the video. But just in case, she hit play and every bone in her body cringed. Remember the red Jetta that took her parking spot? She didn't run the owner over. She found a new spot, calmly walked over to the red car, looked around to make sure nobody was watching, brought out a pocket knife and slashed the tires. Oh my gosh. The look in her eyes was soulless. She's a psychiatrist for crying out loud, and this is what she's doing right now? She had no idea that anyone was watching her, but here it was on video. She responds to EJ. What do you want? I'm outside your front door. Adrian freezes. It's dark outside now. The idea of being alone at him at night makes her want to cry. She can't call the cops because one look at that video and she's done for. She's going to get arrested. Her career, everything is over. She opens the door and invites him in hesitantly. What do you want? Adrian, come on, don't be mad at me. Don't be mad at you? Why the hell were you following me around in the first place? I wasn't following you, it was a coincidence. Adrian knows that he's lying. Like most people, he has a tell. Small little muscle under his right eye twitches ever so slightly. Regardless, it doesn't matter if he's lying or not, he has the video, so what do you want? I just want our sessions to continue as normal. I feel like I truly was making a lot of progress. Uh, what? I mean, but what choice does she have? So they agree to one session a week, four times a month. I mean, she can put up with it. Four hours in a month. And before he leaves, he tells her, don't worry, I'm not gonna ask for anything else. But she sees that little right eye muscle to which just a tiny bit. Back to the transcripts. We have the first session that is after EJ's supposedly last session. So the first session after the blackmail. Trisha puts it in and presses play. Nice to be back, Adrian. What would you like to discuss today, AJ? Have you thought about applying for more positions? You said you wanted to be a sommelier for wine. Didn't you say you loved wine? Yeah, well, I'm a bit bored of it. Besides, who knows when my parents will die and I'll get a big payout. You know, my mom, she's a horrible driver. <laughs> One day, maybe, she'll be driving with my father right in the car and they'll just drive right into the side of a truck. Maybe their brakes will fail and they'll die and I'll be rich. The rest of the session starts to become more sexual in a sick and twisted way. EJ is obsessed with telling Dr. Adrian about his conquest that he has at the casino, but with an undertone of like, I wish it were you instead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And in the end of describing how many girls he slept with, he goes on to say, but I want you. And the tape ends. Trisha does not understand why Dr. Adrian would take back a patient like this. Something that, I mean, something about his voice made her skin crawl. He sounds like a horrible person. And Trisha nearly passes out in shock when she hears Ethan call her name. She shoves the cassette tapes into the desk drawer and pretends to brainstorm on a piece of paper on the desk. I was just working on my resume, thinking about getting back to work. 
Ethan disagrees. He tells her he wouldn't mind providing her for her for the rest of his life. Side note, we learned that Ethan is super rich because his parents are dead and he inherited a ton of money from them. He has no existing family or friends. Really? Wait, wait a minute. Trisha remembers that for their wedding, Trisha felt bad that she never got to meet a single family member and Ethan only had like five friends in attendance. But it's sweet, you know, that he's willing to be so generous with her, with his parents' money. Wait a minute. Her friends would say some like, he's trying to control you with his money. He's trying to isolate you, make you dependent on him. Red flag. But all Trish sees is a nice, caring guy. Thanks, but I'll think about it. Truly, think about it. You're pregnant. I don't know if I want you working right now. Okay, well, do you want to work in this room with me? Nah, I'm good. I'll work upstairs in the bedroom. You want to come? It's fine. I'll uh, stay down here. And when he leaves, she slides open the door and throws in another tape. So we see Adrienne go back to the clinic the following day, partly to volunteer as normal, but also to ask Luke to come to her house to install security cameras. She already bought the cameras, and the idea of having a bunch of random men in her house trying to install these, she didn't like it. So her best choice, Luke. He comes over that very night, and when they're done with work, Adrienne realizes she doesn't really hate his company. She finds his nerdiness a little bit endearing. She even tells him about her book that's about to release, Anatomy of Fear. The most intriguing story in it is Patient PL. What happened to her? She was staying in a cabin in the woods for the weekend with her fiance and her two best friends. No cell service, nothing. They were drinking quite a bit, smoking pot. Their guard was down. They didn't realize that they were being watched by an unhinged man with a butcher knife. He slashed their tires so that they couldn't get away. Then he stabbed all four of them, leaving them for dead. My patients arrived, pretending to be unconscious. The assailant left the cabin. She stumbled into the woods till she came to the main road and escaped. Wow. Okay, moment of truth. So you flip it over. Flip it over. Is it good or no? It looks a little soggy apple-y. Not bad. And then the next moment of truth is to get the tiniest little sprinkle of powdered sugar. And then Bro, so hot. Good, bad, average. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Good. Mm hmm. It is so good. The puff pastry adds the perfect ah. crunch. Apples are perfect. They add some of that warmness. I think it would have been fantastic with some cinnamon. Mm, it's like apple pie. Yeah. Mm, it's like apple pie. So much easier than apple pie, no? Mm, yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Get out of here. I'm a professional baker. No wonder I have a bacon of mysteries. If people could bake this well, they'd start a bacon of mystery. Oh yeah? <laughs> Incredible. Now, Luke is like, Jesus Christ, that's awful. The worst part is they never caught the guy. He's still out there. For the past year, she's had nightmares. It tortured her knowing that he's still out there but with counseling, she's gotten a lot better. Luke ponders for a moment and then shows her how to work her newly installed cameras, one by the front door that connects to her phone. He also installed motion sensor lights around the back of the house. And a few things happen afterwards. They go into her office and he notices the tape recorder. She offers to record him a pretend session, if you will. That's what's on the Luke tape. And Luke thinks it's comical at first, but she ends up hitting a nerve and finding out that he was married once before. 
His wife died in a tragic car accident, but he doesn't want to talk about it any further. At the end of the transcript, you hear them starting to make out. It's getting hot, wild, steamy, which is naturally what happens when you bring up your dead wife, right? <sighs> Great. What the transcript doesn't show though, is that they did it after that. She stopped the tape, they went upstairs and they did it. Adrian was so shocked. Okay, this is so out of character for her, but she really, she really likes him. She's not dumb enough to date the guy though. She just wanted physical satisfaction and she got it from him. But instead, they went downstairs to munch on some PB&J crackers and you know what? She kind of enjoyed his company, okay? He could pique her interest. He wasn't shallow or boring or one dimensional. He was actually very intriguing. He also mentioned how he got into legal trouble when he was younger. She's like, you? You don't even look like you would. Yeah, well, I thought I was a cool smart ass when I got into hacking, but um, I actually got into a ton of trouble. Thankfully, I was a minor at the time. My parents lured up and I was good, but I, I've learned my lesson. Hmm, interesting. Anyways, Luke offers to leave. You know, he's not a puppy waiting for her attention. He knows Adrian prefers to sleep alone and so does he. He does not overstay his visit. He leaves immediately after crackers and Adrian thinks to herself, I like this guy. And maybe, just maybe he can help. When Trisha listens to the transcript, I mean, it doesn't make sense. It sounds like Luke really does like her. Why would he kill her like everyone on social media is alleging? But maybe like a lot of toxic boyfriends, once they started dating, things got dark. Maybe he's jealous. Feeling a little bit creeped out, she heads upstairs to check on Ethan. And when she's heading upstairs, she sees this little string from the ceiling, attic door. <laughs> she yanks the cord and a ladder materializes in front of her and she slowly climbs up. She hesitates before popping her little head in and she's thinking, what if she finds something that she can never unsee in the attic? What is she gonna do? What if Dr. Hale is up there, okay? Should she call for Ethan to search with her? No way, he would tell her to stop being paranoid and close the attic door. He would blame it on her pregnancy hormones, that motherforker. So she quietly just pops her head up, uses her signalless phone to turn on the flashlight and there's nothing up there. Trisha lets out a sigh of relief and as she's about to hoist herself down, everything, everything in the house, including in the attic was covered in a layer of dust. But in the corner of the attic, a bright blue jumbled up fabric sticks out to her. A sleeping bag with not a speck of dust. In the attic. Yeah. She doesn't know what's going on or who it could be, but one thing is clear, someone used that sleeping bag recently. Trisha tries to tell Ethan about her suspicions, but he brushes her off like she's losing her mind and begs her to put something warm on from Adrian's closet. And with enough urging, Trisha bites the bullet and throws on a beautiful white cashmere sweater. And she has to admit, it is the best fabric she had ever put on her body. It's incredible. But maybe the cashmere sweater has a lot more history than she imagined. Because we get a blast from the past of Adrian walking in the kitchen, watching Luke cook. He really is good at cooking. That one night stand turned into a two night stand and now he was over probably three, four times a week. She was even considering giving him a drawer in her uh, closet. And just maybe, maybe one day he could, that's crazy, no. He could move in one day. She's not the type to fall in love or even date long-term, but for some reason she could genuinely see her life with Luke. Luke had opened up about his ex-wife. She opened up about being familyless. Her parents never were interested in her. You know, they never knew what to do with her. Adrian said, as much as adults like to deny this, adults don't like it when kids are smarter than them. And um, that's how her parents were. They both died when she was in high school. Anyway, while they're bonding, she gets a ring on her phone from the ring camera. Who is it? 
One of my patients is outside. <gasps> EJ. At this hour? Jesus. Just, just ignore it. He struggles with boundaries. It's just best to ignore him. Luke looks like he wants to argue, but he drops the topic. EJ does eventually go away, but Adrian knows he's going to be back. So remember how they were agreeing to one to two, one session a week? Now it's yeah. two to three sessions a week, and most of the time it was him describing in explicit detail his sexual exploits. What the f***? So back in current time, Trisha pops in another cassette to listen. Session 179 with EJ. The day after he stopped by the house to see Adrian, but of course, that's not in the transcript. Thanks for seeing me on such short notice, doctor. I didn't have much of a choice, did I? What can I help you with today? This session, EJ forces Adrian to prescribe him oxycodone. She tries to tell him it's not good for her to do this. She could get caught. She can prescribe antipsychotics and the likes, but never narcotics. Just psychiatric medications. He won't listen. He tells her either she prescribes it or he's going to release the video. He forces her hand and she writes the prescription. And at the end, he promises her that he, this will be the first and last time. That's what Trisha hears, but she doesn't see the tiniest little twitch in his right eye. So back to present day, Trisha goes out to help Ethan with lunch, another turkey sandwich, but this time he's microwaving it. You're not supposed to have cold cuts when you're pregnant, you know? I read that. Where did you read that? Trisha briefly wonders because they don't have service, but maybe he read it like a month ago and just, it's just a random thing that stuck with him. Like how uh, moonquakes, there's earthquakes on the moon and they're called moonquakes. That was a random detail that stuck with her. Anyway, they eat their warm turkey sandwiches and ponder the gender of their baby. If it's a girl, we can name it after your mother. And if it's a boy, your father. His face drops. My parents and I weren't close, Trish. Trisha tries to dig deeper. I mean, this is her husband. She wants to know him, but every time she tries, he stops her. Why do you always have to be so damn curious about everything, Trish? Why do you have to know everything about everyone? I don't. I just want to know everything about you because you're my husband and I love you. I just don't want to talk about my parents, okay? I want to look forward to my life right now, not backward. Okay, yeah, I, I get it. I understand. The two silently finish their lunch watching the snow come down. Unfortunately, it looks like they're going to have to stay another night. Ethan goes back to work upstairs and Trish pops in another tape. Session 183 with PL, the 27-year-old female who suffered from PTSD after surviving an extremely traumatic incident. Remember that giant painting of Dr. Adrian that she has over the fireplace? PL's mom gifted it to her. The whole vibe of the therapy session looks like PL is ready to move on. She wants to move into the city, find a job. She wants to finally try, you know? And even though PL sounds really excited, Dr. Adrian sounds really distracted and stressed. It seems like EJ is really getting to her. All she can think about is that dangerous prescription she wrote for him. So for the next week, Adrian is in a cranky mood. Even when Luke comes over, she's not feeling it. And he's trying to ask her, you know? And while she's distracted thinking about all these things, Luke is like, I love you. He's saying I love you for the first time. They've been dating for months and this moment feels so special and she wants to say it back, but she just bursts into tears because for the first time, she feels herself falling in love with someone, but her entire life is falling apart. It's okay, Adrian. You don't have to cry. I didn't say it because I want you to say it back. In fact, I know that you might not and that's okay. I'm not hurt just because you don't respond, I promise. No, it's, it's not that. That's not why I'm crying. Then what's going on? You seem really distracted and stressed out recently. Does it work? Kind of. I'm... I'm being blackmailed by a patient. Blackmailed? Jesus, the, the guy that showed up in the middle of the night? That was him, wasn't it? What could he possibly have on you that he could blackmail you with it? A video. It, it's not...
Well, it's just something I wasn't very proud of. And now, now he wants to ruin my life with it and... You said when you were in high school you could hack computers, right? Where are you going with this? Maybe you could find the video for me and delete it? Luke looks stressed and disconnected. He looks honestly disappointed that she would even ask for such a thing. Adrian also won't tell him what's on the video that could be that bad. And she says, look, I can get you his apartment keys. You can go to his house, get onto his computer and just delete the video, it'll be okay. And how are you gonna get his keys? Just let me worry about all of that, please. Just because we delete the video from his phone or his laptop doesn't mean he doesn't have copies elsewhere. It might not be foolproof, like it might be moot point. Adrian considers it, but she also knows EJ. She was his psychiatrist for two years. He's way too unorganized to do something like that. He's more of a chaotic narcissist. Luke looks at her and his eyes are sad, but it works. He agrees to take her hand and uh, he agrees. Okay, I'll do it. Transcript 181 with EJ. EJ is already in the room when the tape starts and he's been sipping on a glass of wine that Adrian had left on the table. When she enters, she apologizes for being late and EJ starts talking, but only to say, Sorry, I just, oh my god, I have this really lightheaded feeling right now. I feel like the room is spinning. How much wine did you have? I don't know, I just drank it out of the bottle. All of it? Mm, yeah. Good. So we get the doctor's perspective and she's checking his pulse. She had drugged the wine so she could knock out Luke, get the keys to his house, send Luke there, and do the damn thing. She checks to make sure he really is knocked out, reaches into his pocket, grabs his phone and his keys. She uses his fingerprint to open his phone and searches for the video. She has to pass by countless naked mirror selfies, but sure enough, it's there. <laughs> she hands it over to Luke and makes him promise to never ever watch the video and he agrees. He begrudgingly starts deleting all traces of the video from the phone. There are other photos though of Adrian, ones that look like stalker pics through her bedroom window, getting into her car at the market. Adrian vows once this is all over, she's gonna get a restraining order on him. Adrian grabs EJ's keys, tosses them to Luke, and when he's done with EJ's phone, she asks, you didn't watch it, right? I swear, Adrian, I really don't wanna do this. Not this again. It's not that big of a deal, I promise. But it is, we drugged him, and now I'm gonna break into his house and hack his computer. Okay, then, don't do it then. Let this man destroy my life. Luke leaves, I'll do my best, okay? But no promises, I don't even know where his computer is. Adrian hugs him, goodbye, ushers him out the door. This is the only option she has, okay? What choice does she have? She waits with EJ's knocked out body, and when Luke gets back, hopefully he will have deleted the video. And then they will throw EJ into his car. One of them will take EJ's car. The other one will drive their own car, drive to EJ's house, leave him in the car, get in their car, drive back, and they'll be done with EJ. He will have no more blackmail on her. He will just seem like a crazy psychiatric patient that's obsessed with his therapist. That's it. Back in present time, Trisha looks confused. She has about 20 minutes left on the tape and EJ's voice sounds slurred, but Dr. Adrian doesn't even seem the least bit concerned, which is strange because you're the doctor. He's slurring his words. Out of habit, when she ponders, Trisha takes off her wedding ring and starts twirling it around. And ding, the ring rolls under the couch. Fuck. She gets down on her knees and tries to see the ring, but she can't find it. She has to ask Ethan for help. She quietly slips upstairs, asks him to get the ring. What were you doing taking off the ring in the first place? Trying to flirt with some single men here? I was just, I like to look at the transcription. Oh yeah. Trisha and Ethan forever on the inside.
They both smile at each other, go downstairs. Ethan starts moving the couch alone one inch by inch. He refuses to let his pregnant wife help even in the smallest way. He moves the couch and spots the ring. He bends down to grab it, but all Trisha can focus on is there's a tiny little handle on the ground. What the handle? Hell? Yeah. She taps her heel on the board with the handle and sure enough, it sounds hollow. It's like a secret compartment under that sofa. What? Ethan seems excited to open it. He thinks there will probably be something fun down there. Valuables, jewelry, but something tells Trisha it's not jewelry. She doesn't want him to open it, but it's too late. He yanks it open and immediately she runs outside. And just when you're like, I need to know what's going on, we get a blast from the past. Adrian waits for Luke to get back and she can immediately tell he's disgusted with her. I saw the video. But he still helps Adrian take EJ home. And once they get back, she tearfully asks him, do you hate me now? I'm not gonna lie, I'm not thrilled with you right now, but I see why you wanted to get rid of that video. I guess it's good to know that you're not so perfect either. The two smile and Adrian blurts it out before she can stop it and she doesn't regret it, but she asks him to move in soon and he agrees. Adrian looks down at her phone and a text message from EJ comes. You bitch, you broke into my house, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Adrian smirks and deletes his number. There's no reason for them to ever be in contact. Adrian does not believe EJ would kill her. He's angry, but if he really wanted to kill her, he would never text her that. She's not that dumb. Either way, she never shows Luke the message. She doesn't want him to worry. Besides, she wants to focus on their future together. Wait, so she's not even 1% mm -hmm. anxious or worried. Back to the future in present day, Trish is outside on the porch yakking into the flower pot. Ethan is trying to comfort her, but she can't stop throwing up. I guess we know what happened to Dr. Hale now. In between gagging, Trisha responds, I guess so. She remembers what she just saw and throws up some more. Under the floorboard was a rotting corpse, deep into decomp. No, not skeletal remains, but dried out blackened skin clinging to the bones remains. Uh. And scraps of clothing, denim pants, a blue shirt. Oh God, she's about to throw up again. Sorry you had to see that, Trish. I should have never opened it. I just thought, I just thought it'd be jewelry or something. God. How are you okay? Have you ever seen a dead body before? At funerals, they have like open caskets and stuff. Look, why don't I try to find the main road on foot and try to flag down a car? And leave me alone with that dead body in there? We don't have a lot of options, Trish. I, I mean, I guess I can wait till morning. I don't know if there will even be any cars out there right now. Okay, fine. Ethan helps Trisha back inside where she's shivering and he offers to get her a bowl of warm water to stick her feet in because she was barefoot out there. She's kind of amazed that he's able to maintain his composure, but I guess that's what every family needs, right? Someone in the family to be level-headed in times of ultimate crisis. Trisha closes her eyes trying to relax, but bang, both of them jerk up. They stare at each other wide-eyed. This time there was no denying it. There was someone else in the house in Dr. Adrian's office, unless the corpse came back alive, okay? Back in the past, we see Dr. Adrian shopping with Luke, grocery shopping, and they have this cute little moment of PDA. They're making out in the milk aisle, okay? They're cute. She can honestly see herself marrying this man, and it's been about a week since they got rid of EJ, and in a moment of bliss, she forgets that she could potentially run into a patient, and GW comes up to her at the grocery store. Remember that old lady that, convinced, that was convinced the mailman and the pharmacist were trying to kill her? She seems much more put together now. Hello, Gail. How are you? I haven't seen you in a while. Oh dear, I didn't mean to interrupt you and your gentleman friend, but I just got very excited when I saw you. Well, I haven't seen you in so long. What's been going on? Are you all right? Oh, 
everything is great. I took your advice and I had a talk with my son and it made me realize how paranoid I was with my thoughts. You really helped me so much. And I even stopped drinking, which is, I think was adding to the paranoia. <laughs> I've completely turned things around. Dr. Adrian just lost some money, but she's genuinely happy, okay? Gail looks better than ever. The two say goodbye and Dr. Adrian turns around and hears a ding from her phone. Reaches in, grabs her phone and boom, the video is there. <sighs> she texts, what do you want? Talk tonight. Dr. Adrian knows she just made exponentially one of the worst decisions of her life. She just poked a sleeping bear and he was angry. Adrian this time made sure to keep Luke out of it. Even asked him to go home so she could rest for some big days she had with patients. She wanted to make sure she had no chance of losing this man. Adrian waits for EJ to show up and just the sight of him makes her want to throw up, okay? But there he is grinning at her. You don't look so good, doctor. Feeling sick? What do you want from me? You're acting like you don't like me very much, I gotta say. It kinda hurts. Let's get this over with. I'll write you a check right now. A big check, how much do you want? Oh, you didn't hear? <laughs> My parents were in a terrible car wreck last month. They didn't survive. And I'm their only heir, so, you know, I don't think I really need money right now. This is exactly how he suspected his parents would die, remember? Mm -hmm. Adrian's blood ran cold. For the first time, she realized she made the most colossal mistake of her entire career. He is not just a narcissist, he is a full-blown psychopath. Just tell me what you want. I can give you another prescription if you want. But I want you, Adrian. You want more sessions? Call it whatever you want. But I want to do whatever I want to you. Anything and everything. She's about to gag. Out of the question. Don't rule it out so quick. You might enjoy it. I bet you're getting tired of that nerdy little boyfriend of yours. OMG. Get out of my house. If you want to leak the video, go ahead. I won't play these games with you. Now, what if I told you it's not about you anymore? Then he shows her a video of Luke going through his house, rummaging around, prying his laptop out of the locked drawer using a screwdriver and deleting the video. This will ruin his career too. Just think about it. From the moment I saw you, I knew you and I were gonna happen. You with your red hair pinned back, acting like you knew more than anyone else. Kinda liked it. So why don't you think about it for a few days? Think about whether avoiding a few nights of pleasure with me is worth destroying your entire life. Oh, and your boyfriend's life. And with that, EJ leaves and Adrian is about to be destroyed. Back in present time, Trisha is scared Ethan grabs the biggest knife that he can find in the kitchen and they both make a run for the office. They slam open the door and there's a man standing in the middle. What? He's got his hands in the air, his whole body is shaking. He looks like he's in desperate need of a haircut and a shower. He looks stick thin and frail. Who are you? I just need a place to stay for the night, please. I didn't know that anyone was living here. It's really cold out. I'm sorry. Trisha feels sympathy, like it must be hard to be without a home in a weather like this. But there's something odd about his story. Ethan catches on too. What are you doing in the office then? I... They look down and the bang they heard was the compartment slamming shut. Then it hit Adrian. The voice, she recognized the voice. You're Luke. You're Adrian Hale's boyfriend. Let's take it back to the last few weeks of Adrian's life. Luke notices Adrian hasn't been herself recently again. He confronts her about it and she tells him everything. The video is back, but there's also a video of him. She doesn't tell Luke exactly what EJ wants from her, but she lets him know that he's never gonna leave her alone. He's gonna want more and more and more and he'll ask for more. 
Yeah, then Adrian, we just have to let the videos out. He's controlling you right now. Sure, the video could destroy you, it could destroy me, but you don't think he's destroying you right now? You're right. He's gonna keep destroying me for as long as he's alive. What are you saying? I think you know, Luke. <laughs> are you? No. No, you need to let him publish the video and just accept the consequences. In the end, Luke seems disgusted and annoyed that first of all, she got him to do something that he wasn't comfortable with and now there's a video out there that could potentially ruin his life. But on top of that, now Adrian is suggesting that they kill AJ. I mean, has she lost her mind? Either way, Luke leaves and the way he leaves, the way he looks at Adrian, it's hard to imagine that he will ever come back. And Adrian is so upset. EJ just ruined her life, ruined his life and their relationship. So now she was gonna have to take care of EJ herself. Meanwhile, in real time, Trisha and Ethan confront the man in the office and ask Luke, the boyfriend, what are you doing here? Look, I didn't kill her. I loved her, I would never. Then what are you doing here? I didn't have a place to go, so I've been staying here. Why don't you have a place to go? Are you kidding me? My entire life is ruined. Everything went to shit. Everyone thinks I'm a killer. I wasn't even arrested, but now I can't keep a job. My family thinks I did it. I can't even rent a place. So yeah, that's my sob story. You want anything else? Trisha and Ethan decide to tie him up and let the police deal with it whenever they get out of here. Trisha doesn't like it, but there's no other option. It doesn't look like they're gonna get out tonight. She doesn't feel comfortable sleeping knowing that Luke is lurking around. So she grabs the duct tape and starts taping him up. While she does it, he tells her, I loved her. I truly loved her. I would never, never do anything to her. Trisha believes him. They tie him up and they leave him in the office. And when they get outside, Ethan tells her that he's gonna go out and look for help tonight. There's no way he feels comfortable sleeping while he's tied up in the office. Trisha doesn't wanna be left alone with Lucas tied up, but she agrees. She needs to get out of here. So Ethan is about to walk out, but he notices something and Trish notices it too. She must've been in such a rush. The bookshelf on the staircase is protruding out a tiny bit. The tape room. Ethan walks to it, slowly opens it up, what the hell? She recorded all her patient sessions? Trisha wants to lie, but she knows that he'll see right through her. Her cheeks are on fire. I found it yesterday. And why didn't you tell me? You seem busy and I didn't think you would even care. That's bullshit and you know it. Have you been listening to the tapes? No. Don't lie to me. Maybe a few. Don't listen anymore. Promise me, you can't. I promise gonna head out, but that's, you're violating so many HIPAA regulations right now. You could be in big trouble. Do you not get it? These are patients. Okay, I'll stop. Trisha agrees, but she knows that that can't be the only reason he doesn't want her to listen to the tapes. Ethan walks out and Trisha realizes she's got to get all the tapes back that were stuffed in the office drawer and put them back before either Ethan and or the police arrive because Ethan's trying to get the police, right? But that means she's got to go into the office that Luke is tied up in. She walks in and she's got to pass by him. She's trying not to make eye contact. You're Trisha, right? I heard him say your name. My fingers hurt. Could you do me a favor and make the tape a little looser? Do you think I'm the dumbest person on the planet? At least I tried, right? He stares at her while she moves to the desk. We can try and explain to the cops when they get here how Adrian Hale's body got under the floor of her office. That's the thing, Trish. I mean, pretty sure that that's not Adrian. What? You heard me. Look, she would never wear jeans. She doesn't even own jeans. I've never seen her wear it. But if it's not her, then who 
Do you think you know who it is? Yeah, I think I do. Please, Trisha, trust me. I didn't kill her, and I would never do something like that. Well, that's for the police to decide, not me. Trisha squeezes past by him and leaves. She sneaks back into the tape room and puts each one in its rightful place. Well, each one except for one that she's gonna take. The tape was gonna go home with her. Transcript 185 with PL. PL comes in to tell Dr. Adrian that she'll be moving into the city soon and she won't be needing her sessions anymore. That's wonderful, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't have done it without you. I could barely leave my house when I first started seeing you, but now I feel confident my life is starting over and yeah, it's very good. And maybe one day they'll catch the bastard who killed my fiance and my best friend. But I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the documentaries. I guess that is too much to hope for. That's not why they would never catch him. Excuse me? Yeah. The reason that they won't catch him is because he doesn't exist. It's hard to arrest a fictional character, isn't it? Excuse me? You heard me? I'm not sure I follow. You made the whole thing up. There never was a man at the cabin. You murdered your fiance and your friends and came up with this whole fictional story. Dr. Hale, I was stabbed. Barely. You did it to yourself to really sell the story. You had no choice. It was the only way that they would believe you. I can spot a liar from a mile away. Never lie to me. Why, why on earth would I do something like that? I suspect your fiance was cheating on you with one of your best friends and the other best friend was just a casualty to the whole thing. I've been coming to you for the past three years. You put me in your book. Detective Gardner also suspected you, but he couldn't prove it, but I can. All those little inconsistencies, I've recorded them for the past three years during our sessions. What do you want from me? I have a little problem and I need your help. What kind of problem? There's somebody that's been causing me some trouble and I'd like you to take care of it. <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? Oh, I think you know, Patricia. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait, wait, wait. She say what? I think you know, Patricia. I'm like, Patricia? <laughs> <laughs> I know. When I read it, I was like, I know that's a beat drop, okay? Because I've been in this rhythm of true crime or thrillers, but I'm like, all I can see is Patricia. <laughs> okay? So I'm like, fucking knew she killed someone. <laughs> okay, hold up. Let's bring it back to Patricia, aka Trisha, in the present day. Pa-Trisha. Trisha is Patricia. Our main girl is one of a patient of Dr. Adrian's. This whole time we were suspecting Ethan, but turns out Trisha is a shady bitch. Mm. This is the transcript Trisha. Patricia cannot let the whole world see. She never meant to be a murderer. But when your fiance is caught having an affair with your best friend within two months of your marriage, you feel like you have no choice. When you find messages between the two of them expressing love and affection and talking shit about you, you feel like you have no choice. So she invited them to the cabin in the woods when it was raining. And unfortunately, Megan would be collateral because it'd be weird to just invite her fiance and a random best friend. And besides, Patricia never really liked Megan to begin with. She drugged them and then killed them all. Megan was fast because she was innocent. Alexis, she suffered. And Cody, her fiance, suffered even more. She taunted him. That's what happens when you cheat. Then she finally stabbed herself. She had Googled enough to know where it wouldn't kill her. But you know, she wasn't a killer. 
At least not to the public. To the public, she was a hero. That is until Dr. Hale discovered her secret. Patricia knew that she had to do whatever she asked of her, and it was quite the weird request. She was gonna go to a casino, run into a guy that she has a picture of, flirt with him, drug his drink, throw him in the car, drive, her to Dr. drive him to Dr. Hale's house, and that was it. She did it, not because she wanted to hurt or kill him, but because she had to. The two women, Trisha and Dr. Adrian, haul EJ's drugged body and tied up body into the house, and from there, Adrian dismisses Trisha. When EJ finally comes to, it's just him and Dr. Adrian. She opens up the latch to the floor. She walks over, his eyes are bulging. You know, I really liked my boyfriend. I loved him. Because of you, I lost him. You're a selfish asshole who decided to screw up my life, but I guess you'll be getting exactly what you want. We'll be spending a lot of time together. And she rolls him into the cabinet, blocks it up, and lets him starve to death. Underground? Now, of course, the smell is gonna come out. She tapes it shut. She tries to buy chemical like uh, cleaners. But for a couple of months, she cancels all her patient sessions, which made sense because she was also doing press tours of her newest book. It all made sense, you know? But Patricia was losing her mind. She had been searching this guy up ever since the day that she dropped him off all drugged up at Dr. Hale's house. The problem is, Trisha is not the most moral person. She doesn't care if he's dead. But guess what? She's the one on the CCTV cameras drugging his drink, not Dr. Hale. And she knows if she gets caught, Dr. Hale will say, well, she was a patient who went through a lot. She also lied. And all those fucking tape recordings. God. And if there was one thing Patricia learned, her mom had always told her, two can keep a secret if one of them is dead. That's why everyone in the cabin had to die that night. Meanwhile, Adrienne moves on with her life. She releases her second book. And guess what? She goes to see Luke and Luke admits that he missed her. She tells Luke that she took care of the problem. She paid him off. I don't know if Luke believes her, but he's ready to start this new journey. They decide that they're gonna meet up for dinner that night and they're gonna get married. She knew it, she could feel it in her bones. This man was her end game. When she gets home to get ready for their dinner date, she sees Patricia's car parked outside. When she walks up to her, Patricia tells her nervously, I can't go down for this. I Googled him. His name is um, Edward Jameson, EJ, right? He's gone. You killed him, didn't you? Adrian realized she was wrong for ever trusting Patricia. Patricia was dangerous. Can I tell you something? They weren't the first in the cabin. There was a girl, Whitney, that used to bully me when we were 16. I strangled her on the beach. But now, I really didn't want to. And she bonks Adrian on the head and throws her in the car and buries her out in a deserted little field. Patricia says, compared to the others, Adrian, she seems like a cold hard but she didn't put up a fight. So anyway, Patricia's like a full-blown serial killer, and now Patricia needs to get rid of EJ's body and these tapes, and that's why she's at this house. She's the one that set it up. She's the one that casually showed the house to Ethan, got him interested. Judy was never coming, okay? Judy was never coming. She what? had Adrian's key, because she had Adrian's key was in her pocket. She put it under the little flower pot. So that when they get oh. here, they'll be stranded in the snow. It's perfect. This is all a fake setup. Yes. This house was not for sale. It is for sale, but oh. yeah. I mean, she couldn't have it. She couldn't risk it going to someone else and they find EJ's body once they move that goddamn couch. Oh. And then it will come back to her because they'll look at the last places EJ was seen alive and she was the one that was seen with him everywhere at the casino. Uh -huh. But now, now Luke knew that that body wasn't Dr. Hale. It's going to be a problem.
Ethan gets back to the house and lets her know that there was nobody else out, no cars on the main road, but he was able to call the plowing company and they said that they were sending someone out to plow the house tomorrow, which means they still have to spend the night. What about the dead body? I couldn't get to the police. I, get, I guess we'll have to tell them in the morning. He has no idea that she's responsible for the dead body. So she goes upstairs to wash up and uh, she sneaks downstairs and she sees her husband throwing stacks of cassette tapes into the fireplace. As much as Patricia had a secret, so did he. She knew it all along. She was just waiting for him to tell her. Because in a marriage, it's all about trust, right? Ethan? Trish, I... <laughs> all the tapes read GW. Gail Wiley, Ethan's mom, the paranoid widow that was paranoid her son would kill her. Uh-huh. Ethan killed her for insurance money. She was right about her son. Patricia knew it. Sometimes her hot son would even drop her off for therapy sessions and Patricia would see a glimpse of him. Because sometimes she would leave when it was Gail's turn to come, you know? And in fact, she liked a man that went after what he wanted. It was hot, kind of reminded her of herself. <laughs> what is so going that on? So that whole little meeting in the coffee shop? Yeah. That was all planned. Okay. You listened to my mother's tapes, didn't you? Some of them. I don't, I don't know what she said on those tapes, but don't lie to me. Fine. I killed her. The two sit down and for the first time they open up about everything. And Patricia wonders if maybe she's gonna have to kill Ethan because he looks a little bit hesitant at the end. She tells him everything about how she killed her fiance, everything. Oh, she did? Yeah, and in the end, Ethan looks at her and she says, what do you think? I think Luke is gonna be a problem. He knows too much. I was just thinking the same thing. The two of them walk into the office with a knife and chop chop Luke, you're dead. They kill him and we get a flash forward to them living in this house with a daughter and another one on the way. With this house? Yes. They paid asking price. They couldn't risk anyone else getting the bodies, okay? Now, Trisha's pregnant again. They watch their daughter play in the yard, out in the little garden. She has, the kid has no idea that there's two dead bodies in the garden, EJ and Luke. Trisha watches her husband running through the garden with their daughter. He's so good to her. He always knows how to make her laugh. And the two of them will be bonded together not just by this family, not just by their children, not just by their house, but by the secret that both of them will carry to the grave. Or at least Trisha will. After all, Patricia's mom always said, the only way two can keep a secret is if one of them is dead. And that is the end of the book, Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Wait, so, so what's the deal? Like she wants to kill him? Um, yeah, if he becomes a liability, she's ready to chop chop him up. Like, why did you even tell him then? That's what I'm saying. Like, you don't have to do all this. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this book? It's good. I like it. Okay. Why do you um, sound like that? I like it. I like it. I like it. The vibe is there. Mm -hmm. It's a good thriller. I like it. This is my only problem with this thriller and the I, thriller... I, I guess yeah. I feel like the ending went a little bit too much. Okay, yeah. Like they went full on serial killer. She's like, I kill every single person mm -hmm. out there. Yes, I don't like it when um, I realize it's a trend, but a lot of thrillers, I don't know what happens. You know, I've never written a book to completion. Maybe you become unhinged at the end, right? But I feel like <laughs> thrillers start very normal and then at the end it's like, I have been a little serial killer. Ha ha ha, I kill everybody. You know, and it's like, what yeah. is going on? Suddenly these multi-dimensional characters became so characteristic, like, Psychopathic evil. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. You want to be evil together in love, in marriage. Like that was the kind of vibe. So what are your thoughts? Leave it in the comments. And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's BAM and I will see you guys next, well, I'll see you guys tomorrow, but I'll see you guys next week for another BAM. Bye.